Our scripture this evening is found in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we will pick up where we have been as uh, we have gone through this great psalm. We're going to be picking up in the pay stanza, which will be verses 129 through 136. And, you know, God's Word, we, we talked about it this morning as we began to talk about the order of the church. And... You know, I'm so glad that Baptists are people of the book. Because if you'd gotten a bunch of Baptists together and said, how should we organize the church, we'd have ended up with something looking like the Catholic Church, honestly. Uh, We'd have gotten carried away with all of this stuff. And instead, we decided that we were going to be a people of the Word. And And we've seen throughout Psalm 119 that the psalmist is constantly celebrating the Word of God. And in fact, you know, those of you that that are uh, vacation Bible school aficionados, you don't have to be Jeff Slaughter. And and is that a brother that that loves Bible school? I mean, that is a brother that loves Bible school. I mean, you know, how many, when when he was a little boy in Bible school, you know, what would his reaction have been if you'd have said Jeff? How would you like to make your living doing Bible school? You know, a lot of kids would go, yeah, I'd love to do that. And, and, and God has just been great to him and has blessed so many people. But uh, the, the, uh, those of you that are Bible school aficionados know that we have, uh, that part of the pledge to the Bible is, is found in Psalm 119. Some of the verses that we use in the pledge to the Bible come directly from Psalm 119. And we've seen that the psalmist has uh, uh, constantly stressed the importance of the Word of God. And that's why every sermon in this this series has had something to do with the Word of God. Okay, It, it, it it is showing to us the importance and the centrality in the Word of God. And, and I'm going to submit to you this evening that if we can find ourselves in verse 136, then we are truly living a life that has been changed by the Word of God. In honor of the reading of God's Word, let's all stand as we read Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me. After your manner with those who love your name, establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this evening. And Father, we pray that as you illumine the heart and mind of the psalmist when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, 
that you would illumine our hearts and minds this evening as well, and that you would help us to understand the power of your word in our lives. God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our lives, and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer, in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Scripture has the power to transform lives. Now, I, I, I want you to understand. I mean, we understand that the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us that the Word of God is living, that, it has, that, that it's not static. Now, that doesn't mean that it changes. Uh, it, it gets older and older, or harder and harder for me to use some of the illustrations that I use to illustrate this because the people that I preach to don't weren't alive during some of this stuff, okay, that I talk about, and it, it just makes no sense to them, okay. But but back during the the 70s, there was a uh, a book that was really popular, and I forget the name of it. It's written by the same guy that wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and it was something about the adventures of a reluctant Messiah. And and whenever he had a problem, he faced a problem, he opened this book, and and he he taught the the wisdom that this book gave to to his disciples, if you will, and and he was murdered, you know, and 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 his disciples found the book, and when they opened it, they found it to be blank. There was nothing written inside the book, and and one of the things that he told them was to just open the book, and and, and whatever you need will just kind of show up at, at a random place within the book, and that's not what I'm teaching. That's not what I'm teaching at all. Uh, what I'm teaching is that the Word of God is fixed. But, you know, there are times in my own life that, that I will be in a situation that I, I'm not prepared for, you know. Uh, I, you know, something comes up, something comes along, and you're going, how do I respond to this? What's the answer? How do I deal with this? And God will lead me back into his word, a word that was written in some cases uh, almost 5,000 years ago. And what he said through that word is just as valid and just as alive today as it was when it was given to the people uh, of, of the Bible times. And, you know, Amos, we're going to get to Amos in, in a couple of months. In a couple of months. We're, we're in Hosea, and then we're going to do Joel and then uh, Amos. But... But, you know, Amos was, was very prevalent and very prominent in the civil rights struggle in the, in the early 60s. Dr. King preached from Amos a lot. Okay, that, he, he found uh, within the words of Amos that justice roll like waters. And, and, and what Dr. King was doing is he was simply saying what God's word has said all along, okay, is that justice should be there. We've seen. How do you know if you're breaking the law? Okay? I mean, how do you know if you're breaking the law if you've never read the law, if you've never been exposed to it? And it's one of the reasons they make us study all that stuff when we have to go take the written part of the, of the driver's license exam, right? They want to make sure that you know the law, okay, that you know what, how you're supposed to behave when you're behind the, the wheels of a vehicle. 
And so the law, the written law and those signs on the road have the power to transform the way you drive, right? Okay, what else would explain? Let's assume that you're going down the bypass at or near the speed limit. And when you approach the church of God coming into Greenville, your foot immediately lifts off the gas pedal. Why? Because there's a sign right there that says, go slower. And that law, it's black letters on a white sign, which means it's a law. So that law has the power to transform the way that you drive. Okay? Same road, four-lane road, nothing's changed, but someone decided that there needs to be a transformation right here. The Word of God has that same power within our lives. You know, I've told you so many times in the past that I had an undergraduate professor, Dr. Garner, uh, and, and he and I didn't always see eye to eye on, on a, a lot of things. But Dr. Garner had a deep and abiding love for the Word of God. He, he was the one that really lit the fire in me about the Old Testament. Some of you are going, let me find this man. Okay, let me go find this man and ask him what was on his heart teaching you the Old Testament. But Dr. Garner always told us that every time we open the Word of God, that it ought to change our behavior. Okay? The Word hasn't changed. It's not relative. But the Word of God has the power to help us understand the world in which we live. Listen, the Word of God helps us, gives to us the ability to be just like the sons of Issachar in Numbers. Y'all remember that? It says the sons of Issachar knew the times in which they lived and they knew what to do. Okay? And so the Word of God, listen. Listen, verse 136. How is it that the psalmist could say, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law? Because he knows the times. He knows that they're not keeping the law of God. And he knows that they ought to. He knows that, that he, listen, he knows what the Word of God has done in his life. I think an awful lot of the time, our problem is not with the Word of God, it's with our presentation of the Word of God. We present the Word of God as something that constrains rather than something that liberates. Now listen to me. The Word of God certainly constrains my behavior. There are things as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Word of God says, are off limits for me. There are things that I cannot do, even if I wanted to. And that's the key. I don't want to. Why? Because the Word of God has set me free. Does that make sense? You know, you, you talk about... Uh, you know, all of your oats. You know what your oats are? I want me a big old glass of water. I want me a big old steak. Or I want to go do this. I want to go do that. 
And what the Word of God does is it fixes your oaths so that what you own is what the Word of God says that you ought to own. And you're happy with that. You understand that the Word of God hasn't constrained you, but that the Word of God has set you free. Before we can know. Now, all of that sounds good, doesn't it? But before we can have any of that be true in our lives, we have to know it. We have to read it. We have to experience it. It has to be true in our own lives. We have to be spending time. Notice I'm not speaking past tense. We have to be spending time in God's Word. We have to study it. We have to seek to understand it. Listen to me, beloved. This book is so wonderful that anyone that has the ability to read whatever language this book is translated into, has the ability to read and at some level understand what God is saying through this Word. But this Word is also so rich and so deep and so thorough that it could keep the most brilliant people on the face of the planet engaged 24 hours a day studying it and still not get everything out of it that God has poured into His Word. If we truly want to be free. See, I was thinking about this when I was studying my my lesson. Or studying my sermon to preach it tonight. This is what the name and claimants need to be preaching. This is the prosperity gospel that God wants you to prosper in. And it has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. Make your face shine upon your servant. (laughs) How many of you would like to get married and then never again see your spouse face to face until after you die? Man, it got quiet in here. But isn't that the way we treat the Lord Jesus Christ? We are the bridegroom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody in this room testifies. I have had a life-changing experience with the risen Christ. Make your face shine upon your servant. How much would you pay for that? How much could you pay for that? You can't pay for that. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. And then back in verse 132, turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. Do not let, verse 133, any iniquity, any iniquity have dominion over me. You know, we tend to be satisfied 
with a little bit of sin in our lives. A little bit of sin. And, and it's, it's a different uh, amount for every person. The psalmist says, do not let any iniquity gain control of my life. Redeem me from the oppression of men. Do you understand that anytime you're saying redeem me from something, it's redeem me to something? He doesn't make that explicit here. Okay. I mean, other than redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. But he's been building through this part of the psalm that he wants to live his life in, in, in accordance with the Word of God and in the presence, in the view, in the face. That's the word that he used, in the face of God. He wants to live his life in such a way that he can look and see his Father looking lovingly at him and he doesn't have to be ashamed of what he's doing, of what he's saying, of what's going on within his heart. Verses 132 through 135 build on the promises of verses 129 through 131. He's asking God to make real for him what has been promised in the word of God. Now, if you're going to teach a prosperity gospel, there it is. God make real in my life what you have promised in your word. And trust God to do just that. Now, for this guy, we've learned in the 128 verses leading up to where we are right now. How did God... Listen, how did God bring him to verse 136? Verse 134, the oppression of man. His friends, his, his, his countrymen, the people around him had been oppressing him, had been wearing him out over his love for God, over his decision that I am going to live my life by the Word of God. But the psalmist is okay with whatever God does to keep his precepts and to long for his commandments, verse 131, and to turn and be gracious to me. And again, we're going to look at these verses in in order in just a moment. But the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. You know, a lot of times if I'm going through something I don't understand or, or I'm trying to counsel someone that's going through something that they're just struggling to understand and I don't have the answer to it. I'm not God. I don't know why they're going through that. I'll go to the Word of God and the unfolding of his words gives light and understanding to the simple. It helps me to understand the world in which we live and what God is up to. The psalmist knows the same thing that we ought to know. 
And that is that we cannot believe in God were it not for God giving us that belief. You love because he first loved you. Okay? You didn't decide, you know, I, I, I'm going to find me a God. I am. It, it's time. I'm at that age. I, I, I need to get right. I need to figure out a God, and, and I'm going to find me a God, and, and, and I'm going to, well, let's not talk about that, but I'm, I'm going to find me a God. And so you cast around, and you said, you know what? That Christian God looks like a pretty cool guy, so I'm, I'm going to trust in him. The Bible says that we believe in God because God gave to us that belief. That we exercised saving faith because the Holy Spirit was already at work within our lives drawing us to God. And how is it that the Holy Spirit draws us to God? It is by the Word of God. And so the psalmist understands that we cannot by our own strength or effort believe in God, keep God's Word, or here's the big one, defeat the power of sin. That's a big one. See, most of us think (laughs) that we could storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun. How did Jesus pray? He said, pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is asking God to deliver us from evil. He didn't say, guys, okay, guys, you know, you just need to, you know, to put on your big boy britches and you'll be able to stand against Satan. You remember that last horrible night? And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, you know what, Pete? Satan has asked to sift you, but man, you go. You've got this. That's not what Jesus said. He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed. I have asked God to deliver you from the temptation, from the sin that Satan wants to bring into your life. The point that I want to make tonight, beloved, is that God's Word will change our lives if we let it. Verses 129 through 131. Excuse me. The psalmist is testifying about the power of God's Word in his life. I use this as an example. This morning, we had a discussion. Deep discussion. Okay? About belts okay one man in this congregation told me about the the belt that i'm wearing because i was struggling i was at the point i was going to have to start wearing suspenders and i didn't want to do that okay and he told someone else 
And his testimony about the efficacy of that belt has led at least three other people to purchase and begin wearing that kind of belt. Okay? The psalmist is saying that the Word of God deserves at least that much attention. He is saying that the Word of God has gotten me this far in my life. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. You know, I had a friend in, in seminary, he was joking. But he, he loved to fish, okay? He really loved to fish. And one day we were talking, and he said, I'm going to name my boat Visitation. And that way when people ask me where I was during the week, he could say I was out on Visitation. Okay? Okay. But see, that's the way we treat visitation, beloved. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go do that. Oh, preacher, don't make me go on visitation. The psalmist says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. He's not doing them because it's this drudgery, because it's this thing that, uh, well, you know, I'd love to go to the party tonight, but the Word of God says I can't do it. You know how God is. You know. Instead, the psalmist is saying, guys, you know, my heart is breaking. You're going to go to that party, and, and, and y'all are going to do some things that, that, that just, you're not going to enjoy. You're going to wake up tomorrow. You're not going to remember most of it. What you do remember, you're going to be ashamed of. And, and so why don't you just join with me? Because God's testimonies are wonderful, and that's why I keep them. God keeps me in the path that I need to be on, and life is just such a blast. Spurgeon said, It is wonderful that God should have borne testimony at all to sinful men. And more wonderful still that his testimony should be of such a character, so clear, so full, so gracious, so mighty. Because the Word of God can bring about such radical transformations in people's lives, the psalmist says, my soul observes your testimonies carefully. It's what he's saying. He doesn't say carefully, obviously, but he he observes them. When God's Word opens to us, it shows us the dangers of leading a sinful life. It points the way to the cross where we find the forgiveness and redemption we so desperately need. And the life-changing power of God's Word. Listen to me, beloved. How many of us treat God the way that Eve did? Remember back in the garden? How many rules were there? How many rules were there in the garden? One. Don't eat from that tree. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Because... Listen, beloved, he loved us so much that he had to give us a choice. People, you know, people stumble on that all the time. Okay, now, some people have gone too far. 
and, and they get into this whole free will theology. And let me tell you something, beloved. Any free will theology absolutely destroys the sovereignty of God. Okay? Because God in free will theology is no longer free to be God. It, it, it is all up to the human at that point. But God had to give his creation a choice. Whether they were going to love him or whether they were going to turn away from him. And he made one rule. They could have lived in literally an Edenic paradise for all of their lives. But God's testimonies were not wonderful to them. Therefore, their soul did not observe them. And they walked face to face with God and wouldn't believe that his testimonies were wonderful. Listen, the psalmist is saying that the word of God has become his sustenance. Jesus in Matthew 4, 4 said this. Now, when did he say this? He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When did Jesus say this? To whom was it said? It was said to Satan. And where was Jesus in his life? He was not just hungry. He was hungry. Hungry. He had been 40 days without food or water. And Satan says, take that rock. Listen, if you're the Christ, if you're who the Word of God says you are, then turn that rock into bread and get you something to eat. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Listen, beloved, do you understand what he just said? Satan said, if you are the Christ... And Jesus, he could have done it, but he says, man, do you understand that he fully identified with us in his answer to Satan? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus understood the importance and the primacy of of God's Word. We seriously need to grasp how wonderful God's Word is and how blessed we are to have it. You know, I run into people all of the time that say, I have a relationship with God. And yet, they spend so little time, listen to me, beloved, they spend more time on the Internet than they do in the Word of God. They spend more time watching the television than they do reading the Word of God. When we spend so much of our time on these things and so little of our time in God's Word, we rob ourselves of the wonderful work God wants to do in our lives. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. God's Word can transform our lives, but only if we allow it to. Remember what Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28? On the contrary, 
Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. It doesn't, listen to me, beloved, it doesn't do any good to listen or read the Word of God if we don't do what the Word of God tells us to do. Remember what Paul said about the Bereans in Acts 17, 11? Now these were the more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the Word with great eagerness. You understand they were hungry for the Word. They wanted someone to come and preach the Word to them. And they examined the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Let me, let, let me just say it straight out. Why do we have the name and acclaimants? Why do we have these hyper-charismatics that are teaching things that are not in accordance with the Word of God and are packing the stadiums? Because very few people are being Bereans. They're not examining the Scripture daily to see whether what they're being taught is true or not. One commentator said this, Holy admiration of the testimonies will kindle spiritual devotedness to them. Therefore doth my soul keep them. Verse 132, and we're going to pick up the pace. I know I got a little bit fired up in the beginning. Brian's going, I have no idea where this man is in his sermon. Turn to me and be gracious to me. The, the, The word here, turn to me, is it, it comes from the Hebrew word that we use, that, that we translate as face, okay? Turn, turn your face to me. Look at me and be gracious to me is what the psalmist is saying. He wanted God to see how desperately he needed his help. And he understands, he understands that the primary way that God ministers to his people is through his word. Jesus said in John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. All the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak And he will disclose to you what is to come. Jesus promises promises to us that God's help is always available. Verses 133 through 134. You know, they used to have this competition with vehicles where the driver of the vehicle would be blindfolded. That's the way they drive on the bypass, right? I'm kidding. But the the driver of the vehicle would be blindfolded. And someone either sitting in the car with them or communicating with them on a radio would say, turn left five degrees. Turn right ten degrees. And they would guide them through this obstacle course. And so what the psalmist is saying is that I don't have that long-range vision. 
I don't have the ability to direct my own steps because honestly, I don't even know whether the goal that I've set in my humanity is the right goal or not. God is infinitely wise and I want Him to direct my steps. I want Him to establish my footsteps in His Word because if I do that, then no iniquity will have dominion over me. Romans 6, 12 through 16, Paul put it this way. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. You know, I I love how Paul... Man, he could have just left it there, couldn't he? He could have just given you this negative list. Don't do this. Don't do that. But Paul's mind works the same way that ours does. But present yourselves. I mean, you know... He could have said, rather present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We've all seen shows where where somebody rescued somebody, you know, kept them from dying, and and now they've pledged their life to them that they're going to be their servant and all of that. Beloved, why don't we have that same relationship with God where we're presenting ourselves to God as those alive from the dead and our members. God, if there's something you want my left hand to do, then you tell me what you want my left hand to do. Oh, you want me to reach into my back pocket and get my wallet out and help that missionary or help that family or help this individual present your instruments to God as instruments of righteousness to God because sin shall not be master over you. Why? Because you are not under law but you are under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? See, the psalmist wanted to be delivered from his sin. He wanted to be delivered from the sin that so easily besets all of us. And he prayed that God would deliver him from his oppressors. We mentioned it a moment ago in Matthew 6, 13. Jesus taught us how to pray in the model prayer. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do not, it's the same thing the psalmist said, do not let iniquity have dominion over me. Verses 135 through 136. You know, there's certain things that, that just kind of capture our attention, you know? All of us have passions, things that we might be passionate about. You know, when, when Adam was a little boy, and you could ask him just about anything about the Titanic, he could give it to you without going to the book. He knew it. 
He knew that ship inside and out. And you know, I mean, Adam knows that I still enjoy looking at at, at, at Phantoms, at F-Force, the plane that I worked on in the Marine Corps. And I know a lot about those. And, and, and last summer when we were, summer before, whenever it was, COVID's got me all messed up. I don't remember when we were there. And we were at the Yorktown. They've got a Phantom from Trip Tray, a squadron that was right next to us in Beaufort, parked on the deck. And I walked up to her, and it was like being right back on the flight line again. I knew where everything was on that airplane. I knew what the hydraulic pressure should read right here. I knew what the pneumatic pressure should read inside the, the nose wheel well. And if they'd let us go up on her, I, you know, I can tell you, here's where all of the pins for the ejection seat go. I knew that. I knew that. And so the psalmist is saying, that, that he's asking God to take him deeper into his word. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. In other words, what he's saying is, God, would you take me to the seminary of God? Okay. Would you teach me face to face your statutes? Would you teach me how to live my life? And the psalmist closes why he longed for this special touch from the Lord. His heart was broken. He wasn't angry. And can I be honest with you? You've been with us through this study of Psalm 119. I'd have been angry about 40 verses ago. Amen? I'd have been angry about 40 verses ago. I said, listen, guys, enough. Okay? I've had it. Just, I've had it. But the psalmist is, is, is right there with God. And he says, my eyes shed streams of water. It breaks his heart that these men are going to hell. There it is. Does it break our heart that our lost friends, our lost family members... Our lost neighbors are going to hell. Or do we just go, their choice. I tried. I tried. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. I got to be honest with you. Verse 136, if I was writing Psalm 119, would have been imprecatory. God, wear them out. Take them out. Bring fire and brimstone down on their head. I've had enough of them, God. My eyes shed streams of water for the ones that are oppressing me because they do not keep your law. More than anything else, beloved, we need the strength that comes only through God's presence to help us through the trials, the challenges, and the disappointments of life. A special touch from God will enable us to endure even the deepest grief imaginable. If we'll open God's Word and read it prayerfully with an open mind and an eager heart, 
God will speak to us. He will touch us. We will feel his comforting presence and hear his assuring voice. And that, beloved, will change our lives.